This podcast includes explicit language and situations. It is intended for adults 18 years of age and older. These thoughts and opinions are those not of any specific group, employer, or individual. Listener discretion is advised. From the Spade and Archer Studios, welcome to Behind the Yard Sign with your hosts, Justin M. Reardon and Kelly Dollinger. Justin, welcome back to Behind the Yard Sign podcast. A lot of things have happened in our business that are crazy. Up, down, left, (laughs) right, upside down, inside out, all these things we've had to change. It's such an emotional ride, isn't it? Especially when we have so many employees. It's just been crazy. It feels like that that whole idea of like, you know, the obstacle course and you're running it uh, blindfolded and it changes every 10 minutes. And you also have to keep six feet away from any other person who's running the obstacle course at any given time. (laughs) So it's like just so much craziness. Like one of my my best friends made the comparison to Jumanji, which is just like, well, what the hell else is going to come now? Like what's around the corner? When do the monkeys arrive? Exactly. Right. I think it's a perfect conversation, though, because... We are a seasonal business, right? And we already know in the cycle of a year, when is it time to take on new projects and when is it absolutely the hell not to? Because we are just managing like survival, staying alive, managing all the business we get in. Obviously, real estate, we're busier in the spring and summer. And so we kind of operate that way with when we can handle things and when we can't. But like this was completely out of our control and we've had to be forced to make hard decisions and adopt new processes when normally... Springtime isn't exactly when we'd be like super thrilled to change everything. Probably the most important thing is a huge part of our brand really embraces innovation, ingenuity, and change. And I think that's really unique to our company. So, and I've only been here a year. So I say our company as if it's just like, oh, I've been a huge part of this for a long time. No, I've only been here for a hot minute. And really that was something that I slid into. How did you end up in this business with a mindset of constantly being okay with change and being unique and being different? You mentioned the whole fact that we're a seasonal business and really like everybody who would ever be interested in listening to this is pretty much real estate agents. And so they are also in a huge seasonal business. And this COVID thing hit, you know, at the end of February, beginning of March, like literally right as our season gets going. And so there's going to be a lot of people that are out there that are hurting, you know, and these are small business owners that do not have people on Mm -hmm. payroll. And so that PPP program, which is a payroll protection program, which is designed to give money to people who have employees, if you're a real estate agent, you probably don't have employees. And there's also a pretty good chance that because you are a small business owner, you're actually not yeah. an employee, which means you cannot file for unemployment. So, I mean, there are going to be some people that are out there that are hurting. Ultimately, when it comes down to it, there's yeah. going to have to be some ingenuity there in order to make sure that these people survive, that they have shelter and they have food. And so what I would love to talk about today is how we are using our core values as a pivot mechanism. So a lot of people talk about the idea of pivot pivoting in business. Oh, you got to pivot your business. You got to pivot. You got to pivot. What does that mean? Well, in order to be able to pivot, you have to have something around which you pivot. So pivoting doesn't mean just shifting. It's different. Shifting is just going from here to here. Pivoting is when you have a fulcrum, you have a middle point and you pivot around that. And that what I think that pivot point is that where that fulcrum is based is in our core values. There's a book called Good to Great and talks about the idea of core values and how businesses who have core values tend to survive downtimes, businesses that do not have core values do not survive downtimes. And that has been like the really big difference between being a sticky business and not being a sticky business is the idea of core values. So I I can't tell anybody what their core values are. I think you have core values, just your own personal core values, right? And we're going to talk about that later on during Nancy's talk. And and during that interview, when Mm -hmm. we talked to Nancy, we talked about Spade and Archer's core values being just three really basic things, beautiful homes, thoughtfully conceived, gracefully executed. And we've been in business for 10 years now. And we started off in the recession last time when I wrote my business plan for my business, which by the way, if you're going into business or if you're becoming a real estate agent and you don't have a business plan, stop right now, hit pause on this recording, write a business plan. Um, Our business plan, it's not, my business plan wasn't right. I anticipated that I would be at a certain level in five years and I actually got there in 18 months instead of five years. So it was totally off. But what my business plan did is it basically gave me a roadmap of where in the hell I wanted to go. If I have no idea where I want to go, I will definitely get there. I will get absolutely nowhere. But because I wrote this business plan and literally like the first page of the business plan, it had those three things on it. Beautiful homes, thoughtfully conceived, gracefully executed. I used to work at a company called Peacock Construction in San Francisco. It was owned by 
this guy named Bill Peacock. And he said Bill Peacock's core values were quality construction on time and on budget. And there's these three things. And I always loved it because I could always remember it. And I always knew what I was supposed to do. I was going to deliver quality construction. It was going to be on time and it was going to be on budget. And I modeled my core values after Bill Peacock's core values for his companies. I originally thought that it was our tagline. I thought it was like our, our brand modifier, like Nike, their brand modifier is just do it, right? Like that's always been their thing. But when you think about Nike and their entire business, just do it has lasted so long for them because it is their core value. Like, should we do this ad with Captain Captain right. the guy who took a knee? Should we do that? Yeah, just do it. And like, we got to sit down and, and, and talk to the Nike marketing team about that ad campaign specifically. And it, what it came down to is like, we're going to piss people off, but you know what? Just do it. I mean, they literally are using just do it to answer every question that they have. Like, should we do this? Yes. And so throughout the years, mm-hmm. not paying for consults or using vintage furniture or every decision that we've made around how we communicate with our clientele or how we build our website has always come down to those three core values. And now we're in this process where we're trying to pivot around our core values and we're trying to find ways to bring good service, beautiful homes, thoughtfully conceived, gracefully executed to our clients. Again, we have not changed any one of those three values. We're just doing it in a way that we no longer touch our clients. So we're not in the same space as them. Like even today, we had a D stage scheduled and every time we schedule a D stage, we send this letter that says, hey, during the COVID-19 process, nobody else can be on the job site. Um, It's a promise that I've made to my employees in order to keep them safe, in order to keep them working, that they would not have to be in contact with any human beings at all. Got to the job site this morning, the employee called me and said, there's people on the job site. There's a contractor here, they're building a deck. And I was like, well, do they have to walk through the house? It's like, yeah, they have to go through the front door to get to the deck. The tools are in the front yard. The deck is in the backyard. They have to walk through the house over and over again. And so I called the client and I said, hey, can you get your contractor off the job site? And he was like, nope. And I said, okay, we're going to reschedule. We're going to leave. And so we left um, and we did so gracefully. And the client wrote a letter and was like, I really apologize. I'm so sorry. I didn't realize they're going to be in the house. And I said, hey, you know what? We're all under a lot of stress right now. And we've got time to do this next week. You don't close for another couple of weeks. We're not going to charge you any extra. We'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. And so, you know, that whole idea, gracefully Mm -hmm. executed, right? I didn't call him up and be like, you're a dick. Why'd you do that? You know, and I could have gotten all mad and pissed off and happy, but that wouldn't have been gracefully executed. So we don't go that route. If we have our core values and we pivot around them, that's the best way as a company to survive because we know that those core values are tried and true. Absolutely. And I think that that has always like been our North Star with everything. And I can tell you as the person now that's in charge of the brand, it makes my life and job so easy. And we get complimented a lot on our branding. It's not really because I'm making it up. This is stuff that existed before. I'm just the one being consistent with it and making sure stuff gets pushed out with those values in mind, which is a whole job, which is a whole person's job because it's a lot. All of that has been so helpful and supportive while we've made all of these impossible decisions, brand new, unprecedented decisions for small business during a global pandemic to keep businesses open, but doing so ethically with transparency and keeping in mind the financial and public health ramifications of our choices and all of those things. But at the same time, it's like our staff has been great with adopting with daily change, because I also think that that is so consistently been part of our company culture. You know, do you think anyone on our staff would be surprised if they wake up and see a brand new policy from you on a Thursday? Not really. That was written at three o'clock in the morning on Wednesday the night before. Yes. Right. <laughs> like people kind of like, and I think that not only our staff, but I think our clients know too, to look out for stuff that's new, different, innovative, thinking yeah. outside the box and adaptive from us, which I think is a really awesome part of our brand, given that we're not a Nike. We're a small homes agent company in three locations, but people, I think, right really are experiencing our brand live and in color through all these different things, which I think is such a cool part of our marketing. My son talked to me last night and he was pissed off. Honestly, he was really upset. And we're like, what's going on, buddy? Why are you upset? And he's like, well, Mac put out a new operating system and I'm not used to how it works. And now I have to learn how to use the operating system again. He's like, why do they do that so often? It's like five times a year. And I said, well, you know, I got my first Mac when I was in college. I graduated from college in 1998. So how long is that? It's been like 25 years. And I remember the operating system. It was like this, you know, those little like almond colored boxes and it had a keyboard and you used to have a floppy disk drive that you put into it. Remember those? Well, operating, Mm -hmm. if I still had that operating system today, number one, it was black and white. Number two, it was like 28 bit. Like every character was like made of a little box.
boxes, you know, I wouldn't be able to do anything that I do on the computer today. And I said, what they're doing is they're keeping up with the technology. And if they don't update the operating system all the time to be able to keep up with where the technology is, then you won't be able to use the technology. And so that's what they're doing every time they're doing that is they're making sure that they're being able to offer you the services that are are available. As a real estate agent or as a home stager or as a computer company, we have to continue to update our operating systems in order to keep up with the way that our world is changing and evolving on a day-to-day basis. And usually our world changes and evolves at this rate, just like this, you know, a little bit. Mm -hmm. But COVID-19 looks like this. I know that nobody can see that, but if you were to like take Britney Spears and throw in like a little bit of Rihanna (laughs) and maybe a jackhammer, that's the motion that I just made because it's like, you know, I mean, it's just all over the place, you know? (laughs) And it's true. I mean, if there was ever a time to adapt, now is that time. Your worst nightmare right now, your biggest enemy is becoming irrelevant. Yeah. And the thing is, the times are changing. Our behavior is changing. The way we communicate is changing. And if you don't keep up, this is when industries die. Entire industries, and many of them will. Department stores. I mean, if they don't change, evolve, and adapt, yeah. When are you going to go to a live concert next? I have a friend who, she's a hairdresser. She develops at-home hair dye application. And right now Mm -hmm. what she's doing is she's offering her product to clients and then she's doing video tutorials with them to walk through on how to dye their own hair because people can't get to a hair salon right now everybody's business is adapting and changing and trying to meet these times. If we can make sure that our businesses say relevant, even if it means that we have to pivot around our core values and find something slightly different than we did from before, make it happen, man. I was just going to circle back to that point, which is just like, yes, of course we have to pivot, but it's not, you're going to go from 20 years and selling one thing to another thing completely. That's not a pivot. That's a departure. You're not going to go from behaving one way ethically and then deciding to do unethical practices. That's a departure. And if you're considering how to even create a brand, a mission, a vision for yourself in business and small business, whether it's personally, professionally or whatever, figuring out what your core values are and pivoting from those, your core values plus innovation will prevent you from reaching that point where you become irrelevant in your industry. Let's just let's just make a math equation around that. Core values plus innovation equals survival. That's the yeah. equation around COVID-19 in business. That is a yeah. lovely statement, Kelly. Really nice. This is kind of a time that you and I get to like philosophize around what the hell we're doing day to day because normally we're running around like the chickens with our heads cut off like morning meetings client to client to client issue and here we are we just get to bullshit about like what we're doing so it's like it's like a therapy with each other pretty much yeah and then we're like oh okay oh yeah we did that well we're like oh we fucked that up so that's kind of fun but I think that's something that we've been able to do well and again getting to like my original question was it a little a lot of work for us to switch our business practices like upside down to make it a touchless process so that that we can provide the exact same service and do the exact same thing just in a totally different way so that we are social distancing, keeping people safe, keeping our staff safe. Like all that stuff we like changed in a matter of days to accommodate this crazy world we live in and this pandemic. We're slightly entitled that our, our work allows us to do that. And there was a certain amount of like logistical ability to to make those changes and that everybody has that luxury and we totally understand that. But most people listening to this are real estate agents and they might have to up-level some skill sets They might have to try different things and take their core values that we're going to talk about with Nancy Chapin about how she takes her core values and she pivots and she's willing to make some changes in order to stay relevant. It's also super important to look at the idea of that entire businesses are not essential. If you can say, okay, well, my business is not essential. Take a look at what we did in our, in Spade and Archer, is we looked at our business and we said, what part of our business is essential? What part of our business is not essential? And we got rid of anything mm-hmm. that involved human contact. If you go to my local grocery store right now, they've put up basically like a big plexiglass box around the, the checkout stand so that they can continue to check out groceries without getting spit on or sharing breath with other people in order to keep those infection rates down. And so there are parts of businesses that are essential, parts of businesses that are not essential. And really for us, it was a hard look at which part of this business makes us money and actually keeps us survival so we can buy our food and and have a place to sleep at night keeps our employees paid what parts aren't 
a lot of my job was going out to coffee. I mean, I was doing like eight or 10 coffee dates a day. All that came to a screeching, all my traveling, it's just all screeching halt. And I started to realize like, Mm -hmm. here's really the essential parts of our business. And COVID-19 is making us so much more efficient than we used to be. You know, you are an idea machine and sometimes you bring stuff to us and we're like, this is insanely amazing. And sometimes we're like, mm, really this stupid. isn't our favorite idea ever. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, <laughs> this I think what's, our favorite, really, but... what's really important is not being afraid to fail fast. And so like we introduced yeah. instant pricing and we had three options on there. We introduced open, set, and express home staging. Open was like 30 days of like any time during this point we're going to do that during that period. Set was like you have a set date, express is like, we'll do it immediately, no problem. And what we found is that open was causing a massive amount of confusion with our clients constantly. Mm. And so yesterday, after I think it was like the fourth or fifth time that it had just thrown a fucking wrench at the works, we were like, you know what? We're killing open installation. We're getting rid of it. We're changing the name of set to standard and we're going to have express and that's it. And we're going to change that. And I am not afraid to admit that it was a mistake, but you know what? We tried it. It didn't work and we fucking killed it and we did it fast at we talk about the idea of don't be afraid to fail quickly. The worst mistake Mm -hmm. that we can make in an innovation period like COVID-19 is to try something and have it fail for a long time because that kills businesses. If you fail, fail fast, move Uh the fuck on, go to the next one. I think it's a really important point because it's just like, I don't want to come across saying that all of our ideas are golden because they are not. No, we suck sometimes. That's a part of the innovation, right? So it's like if you're if you're trying to think right now, how can you improve your business or you're preparing to start listing again or be more active with transactions or whatever, and you have this time to adapt your process, don't start with how great you are. Start with where people struggle the most with what you're offering. You did it in a really interesting way, though, Kelly, because every time we would come to you with some kind of complaint that we got from a client, you would immediately respond with gratitude. And so we would come to you and we would say, this person is pissed off because we couldn't destage their house on a Saturday. And you're like, that's so great. That's such great information for us. How can we message around that? And I would be like, fuck them. <laughs> I would be all negative Nancy. And you'd be like, oh, I'm so grateful for negative feedback. Thank you so much. It's going to make us so much better. And I learned a lot from you in that people are going to say what people are going to say, no matter what. We cannot control sure. what they do, but mm-hmm. we can control how we react to it. And so if we take negative feedback and we respond back to it with gratitude, then we can then actually accept that negative feedback and grow ourselves into better business people. We're trying to figure out how to better communicate. We're thinking about what language to use, what kind of tone to use, like in and around this. Is this proactive you know, communication? Is this reactive communication? For example, I sit next to Cole in the office. Cole's our, finan- our finance guy. And day after day, I'm listening to him take phone calls. And all people are asking for is, can we get a ballpark? Can we get a ballpark? Can we get a quote? Can we get a ballpark? Well, I don't want to do a console. Can I get a ball? And I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is maddening. And finally, you know, we got to take that to task and we got to create the in- our instant pricing process. And now it's like people can get right. their instant price, their their quote from the website in a matter of minutes and that solved that problem. Well, if we weren't paying attention to that obstacle, you know, we wouldn't have been able to come up with something and now it's like our favorite thing that we're doing. For the most part, our clients are obsessed with it. We had a person go on yesterday and uh, she did. She re- generated her first price through instant pricing and I called her up and I was like, hey, I just saw your instant pricing go through and she's like, oh, I'm just playing with it. She's like, are you going to call me every time? I'm like, no, do you want to just play with it? She's like, yeah, sure. She generated like 10 different versions of instant pricing for different projects that she has. And I was like, that's so great. She She's just playing with it and learning how to do it so that when it counts, she can go in and actually make it work for her. It was really smart. I loved it. Yeah. It was great. The point is that a really great product came out of listening to people's complaints and the negative feedback. Being able to serve our specific clientele, and we do have a kind of a specific clientele, as all people do with all different right. companies, real estate right. agents as well. You have that, that sweet spot of clientele. Our specific clientele is really good real estate agents, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the right. best ones There's, in the world. That's our and clientele. also yeah. all really good <laughs> Looking also. <laughs> yeah, incredibly good looking, yes. Yeah. So yeah. if you're a super hot, super good looking, super successful real estate agent, give us a call. We're your guys. Give us a call. Yeah, we're your guys, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for being with us. If you want to check out that instant pricing tool we were referencing, just go to spade-archer.com and you can play with it ten times too, and Justin won't call you. <laughs> Click on the let's get started button. Yeah. We should yeah. change it to like let's get jiggy or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> That's an example of a bad idea. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> 
love to welcome to the show Nancy Chapin. Nancy has been a dedicated supporter of Spade and Archer since we were an unproven commodity in our Seattle market. <laughs> Nancy is one of the most innovative real estate agents I've met in my entire life. She has this doesn't give a fuck attitude what anybody else is doing. She does it her own way. She called me up one time and she's like, oh, everybody else has a lookbook. I'm thinking about making a lookbook. And I was like, why would you do that? And she's like, what do you mean? And she's like, well, everybody else is doing it. I'm like, Nancy, you've never done anything that anybody else has ever done ever in your entire life. And she's like, oh my God, that's true. If you would please be so kind as to welcome Nancy Chapin of Windermere Real Estate. Thanks so much for a lovely introduction. Absolutely. Nancy, nobody goes to college and majors in residential real estate. And so I would Some love- actually do, just so you know. <laughs> I heard there is programs There now, are right? those degrees. I did not though. You're right. For old people right. like me, I'm not going to say anybody else because there's ladies present, but for old people like me, there was no such thing as a major. I think you can even major in like construction management now. Like it just cracks me up. Would you be so kind as just tell me, tell us the story of how you became a real estate agent? What was your path to get here? Well, my mother, bless her, she's been gone for a long time now, but she used to describe my professional life as being a mosaic professional life, which I kind of think was her way of saying, dear God, Nancy, are you ever going to settle down into something? <laughs> Uh, which was actually not entirely true even at that point in time. But I did have a tendency of doing a little of this, a little of that, a little of this. I really started out like as a singing telegram deliverer in high school. Really? Uh, that was one of my first jobs. Oh my jobs. God, that's awesome. Do you sing? Yeah, you didn't know I sing. No, I had no idea. Yeah. That'll be part of this podcast. Mostly in, the, no. <laughs> Mostly in the shower or in the car now. That's about the extent of it. Well, the acoustics are so good. How can you not? Know? You can exactly. actually say you were a professional singer because you, you literally got paid to sing. I'll send you a recording. Right. I, I was a psychotherapist for a lot of years. That's actually what my training was in. Okay. Um, cool. I have a master's degree. And you're, and you're still practicing psychotherapy as well. <laughs> I worked with elderly for a while. I worked at Microsoft. I ended up at Amazon. What were you, um, what were you doing for them? What was your Training role? and development. Okay. I was part of their new hire orientation process, which at that point, we had 150 to 100 new people coming on every week at corporate. Every and now it's week. probably like quadruple that. Wow. It's, that that was, sounds like the most fun job in the nerdiest way possible. I would love, love to do something like that. That is so fun. There was a lot about it I love. A uh, lot of creativity, a lot of momentum, yeah. but I was mostly coming from nonprofit to private sector. And yeah. actually I had been at Microsoft before I went to Amazon and the inefficiency and stupidity of how corporate settings work was really enough to make me nuts. Sure. So how I ended up actually in real estate was my current wife, Leah, been together for 25 years. She and I were sort of doing a little rock, paper, scissors action on who was going to go get the job that was really going to provide and support our family because we had just had a kid. I actually thought it was going to be her. thought she was going to go off and do some big money making something. Ran into some friends of ours at the Triple Door one night and they said, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm still trying to figure out what I'm going to do next. And they said, have you ever thought about real estate? And I said, oh yeah, I'd gone to some meeting at a broker's office about 10 years previously, but the idea of going into sales just made my skin crawl. Mm -hmm. And she's like, you know, you should go meet this guy. He's putting together team and he swears he can teach anybody. And I was like, I got nothing to lose. So I went and met with this guy. She told me I wouldn't like him and that he's kind of a pig, but he could teach anybody. <laughs> like, and he was, and I didn't like him and he was totally a pig. And I took a stab at it and had the opportunity to be trained not so much by him, but by his managing broker who was phenomenal. And I never would have thought I'd still be here 15 years later. So you didn't like him and you still took the job. Why? Early on, I didn't have to have very much contact with him. He wanted sort of a frat boy vibe. And I was in my 40s and really not a frat boy. It was mostly men on the team. And the other women were very sort of... Oh, just say it like it is. They're skanks. They were kind of a little... We use the, we use the term cupcakes. Yeah. They were cupcakes. They were, yeah, yeah. There were some cupcake. And not necessarily the smartest cupcake. But it was definitely a boys club. And... Right. It takes 
takes a long time to realize that you are not chocolate or you're not vanilla, that you're plum raisin lychee nut, and that you not everybody's gonna like you, that everybody will Did you react just call me a nut? Some, I think I'll call you a lychee nut to be precise. Um, that, that you are not everybody's flavor, that everyone's no. gonna have a reaction to you. They're gonna either love you or they're gonna hate you, but no one's gonna be indifferent to you. It's really hard to be okay with that. One of my favorite quotes is people are going to either love you or hate you and none of it has to do with you. Yeah, yeah. it's none of your business what they think of you. And I would have to say a combination of things happened about eight years ago that totally changed my business. What company did you start off with? I was with Remax. It was this guy had a team and the, our licenses were under that umbrella, but it really, we were not very connected. In fact, he didn't really want us to partially because he really was indoctrinating us in his way of thinking. And he was very successful. Um, he did end up losing everything because he got really greedy, in my opinion. So he was the best teacher of everything. I do not want to be in the world or be as part of my business. So I'm actually eternally grateful to him. It took me a long time. I was really mad at him for a long time. Yeah. Uh, and then I realized, oh my God, Nancy, he gave you absolutely the example, just the flip-flop and... That's me. Yeah. I think it really is an entrepreneurial skill to feel, even when you go into an environment that you don't love, but feeling empowered enough and having enough confidence to be like, I want some aspects of this, but not all of it. And how can I really make it my own? And Absolutely. I'm sure that a lot of real estate agents, especially if they're newer and listening to the podcast and are listening, you know, looking to you, if someone has been in the business for so long, might identify with that either with their companies or their own offices and really struggling how to make it feel like their own. What do you yeah. think is the stronger in influence? Is it the role model that you want to be like? Or is it the role model that you're like, I am not going to do it that way? My life is a reflection of both. How about the wisdom to know the difference? Ooh, there you go. <laughs> That's yeah. the most important part. How do you tell the difference between who is a great role model and who is not? And who's a good role model for me is not going to be the same as who's a good role model for somebody else. So that's totally life's always going to give us those people that provide that contrast for this is what I don't want. And again, if you can see that as that opportunity to go, oh, I can bounce off of this is what I don't want to help me get clear about what I do want. Mm -hmm. Then, then you're on your path. We talk about core values a lot in the small business community and about how core values keep us on our road and on our track. Do you know offhand, like, can you rattle off what your core values are? Gratitude is number one, fun and laughter, relationship, family relationships, and being of service. Um, have you ever heard of Danielle Laporte, Nancy? I don't know. I love her. She's amazing. And she does something called Core Desired Feelings, CDF. You have all these things in life you want to do. You have all these directions you want to go in. But all these things really just come back down to an emotion and the emotion that you want to feel. And so in a very similar process to what you described, she throws out all of these, you know, words, terms, adjectives, how you want to feel or whatever. Danielle Laporte has a whole calendar as well. So every single day um, and every single month, you have to realign on your thing on your core desired feelings. We have such a limited amount of time in a day. There's only so many things that you can do. And if your core values are a list of 45 things, it is very mm -hmm. hard to figure out what you actually want to work on that day. When Spade and Archer started 10 years ago, we've always had some kind of a tagline or something. And our very first tagline was beautiful homes, thoughtfully conceived, gracefully executed. And as many times as we have changed our tagline uh, throughout the years, whether it's guaranteed home stager or instant staging or aspirational obtainable, it's always changed to different things. We've always come back to beautiful homes, thoughtfully conceived, gracefully executed. And about four, three years ago, I joined EO, which is an entrepreneur's organization. And uh, we started to talk about core values and about how businesses who have core values tend to last twice as long as businesses who do not have core values. And so about three years ago, Ago, we looked at all the things we've done throughout the years. And the one thing that aligned every single thing we've ever done is beautiful homes, thoughtfully conceived, nice. gracefully executed. And I mean, it, it's so easy to remember. It rolls off the tongue. And every time we have a question, we're like, how should we do this? We'll 
we're providing a service, we should do this gracefully. And so what would be the most graceful way for us to mm-hmm. do this? Whether it's talking to a client or moving a piece of furniture or telling somebody no, that's what it's always come down to for us. And so, you know, for real estate agents that are just starting out, identifying what your core values are. And I think what I love about your core values, Nancy, is what it's what differentiates you from everybody else. I have never heard a real estate agent in my life say the most important thing to do to me is to have fun. Never have I heard that. And so, you know, I, I think it's just really wonderful that you have that. Thank you. Well, and I remember one right around the time I had come up with that list, I was out with some brand new clients. They were so clear. They weren't, they, they were an online lead and I never get online leads only because I don't want them. Mostly we went and looked at a couple properties and they started out, Oh, you know, we're not going to buy anything. We're not going to buy anything. I'm like, fine. He turned to me on the sidewalk at the end and he said, well, that was fun. And I said, Oh my God, I'm so glad to hear you say that. And he said, why? And I said, cause that's my number three top core value. It's so great. And he's like, I love that core values. What, what do you, and so we had this whole little brief conversation, which of course went on to be years of, of working together and becoming friends, but yeah. it, you got to tell people who you are. It's very difficult to identify because you have to see the forest through the trees and to identify that in your own self. We talked about the idea that people have body dysmorphia. They can see themselves as being too fat or too skinny or too tall or whatever it is. Uh, I think that as business owners, I think we have business dysmorphia. It's very difficult to see what we're actually doing. And people will say to you, oh, you're so successful. And as Americans, we're taught to say things like, oh, actually not really, you know, I kind of suck at my job and actually I'm terrible at what I do. It's really hard to look at yourself and be like, this is what I do well. And this is what I want to continue to do well. So the fact that you've done that exercise is really just awesome. Let's pivot into the marketing and the video content. Explain for us what your business has been like right now through COVID, through the pandemic. Were you abstaining from transactions there for a while? Washington state was on again, off again, hot, cold. We were figuring out what was going on for there for a week. Like, how did you end up managing that? And where are you now in this weird gray area before, you know, we're getting back to normal life? Oh, you know, that answer kind of changes on a daily basis. <laughs> yes. Yeah. My family would tell you it, I'm on a cycle. <laughs> So first and foremost, I am a citizen like the rest of us, and our governor told us to stay home. It's really simple unless you are, and what I think of as essential workers is a healthcare, mm-hmm. groceries, pharmacy, mm-hmm. really to leave the house other than for those kinds of things. And I am by nature a rule bender. So I have been doing what I always do, which is focus on the relationships. And I have a lot of fun reaching out to people. Obviously, I do a lot of video um, texts and emails to people just checking in. It has been incredibly heartwarming. All the people, especially the people who bought a house this past year, who've all gotten back to me and said, oh my God, thank you so much for helping us get our house because they can't imagine if they were in this stay home. Home, right. uh, where they had been living before. I was going to say, my follow up to that is even when we're open up again, we're still not going to be yeah. listing houses the way we were. No. You know, we may not be having these opens or the broker opens or these public things. And so all of a sudden, and you know, as home stagers, we've always made the case to have a competitive listing with great photos. But the reason we were wanted to talk to you today is like, you're the queen of video. So it's just like you were already before the pandemic on top of using multiple modes of visuals to show exactly what this house looks like to get people excited. And now that's way more important than it ever was. I mean, people are relying more on photos and videos than ever before. Talk a little bit about what that process was like for you when you were learning it. I have not always been hugely a proponent of listing videos. I'm not convinced that they actually sell a listing. I think they sell you as a listing broker, probably. Mm -hmm. That being said, there's some phenomenal people out there putting together listening videos and I watch a lot of them, not even just from the Seattle area, but sort of North America in general, part of a couple of different groups of people and people do some cool stuff. My feeling has always been, and and this is where we're bumping up with some change here, is that the most important thing is to present the house in a way when you are sitting on your sofa with your mobile device and you're scrolling through houses that you stop at mine because it pops. And as you then go through those 
pictures of that house, feel some of that feeling akin to falling in love. And it is, it's totally eye candy. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's exactly the same as being on a dating app. That's our next business. <laughs> Tender for real estate. Exactly. <laughs> I am too old to have ever had that reference point, but yes, it probably is from what I'm told. The goal is always to get somebody to leave their house, go across town and come experience that home within those walls. Because I personally think all those homes have a soul and you got to feel it. And it's part of why when you're out with a gazillion buyers over the years and you walk in a house, you know in like five seconds if it's the right house for those people or not. Mm -hmm. There's a feel. Obviously, it has to be the right feel for the right person. Like not everybody's always going to feel it. Although you do try and create that experience, which is why the partnership with Spade and Archer is so has been such a critical piece. I heard a rumor that you sold a house a couple weeks ago that was staged by us that the buyer had never even entered in yeah. real life. No rumor. How'd you do that? Uh, that is a very good story. There's a lot of stars that aligned for that one and a little bit of forward thinking. I'll, I'll, I'll admit it. So it was before the governor had done the order and we, but you know, it was pretty obvious it was coming. I thought it was obvious. So as we were planning to get the house ready on the market, you guys staged it. I did my own little video, which again, I usually hire a professional, but again, some mixed feelings about listing videos in general. And then I also do a video about the neighborhood. Um, go shoot a bunch because I'm just sort of learning to play a little bit more as a videographer. So we had a little video about what's nearby. And then I did a Facebook Live video, which I figured out how to save and download because then you're getting the experience of like, I'm walking through the house with a broker because one of my biggest beefs about people just going to open houses is I can guarantee you, you will have a different experience if you walk through a house with me than if you just go to an open house and go look at it on your own. You're going to learn different things about the house, about houses in general. So for that house, what seemed like our timing could not be worse. We got all that stuff filmed and I was like, okay, so clearly we're not going to have open houses. So a guy in our office who does a lot of coaching and tech support stuff, we decided we would come up with a QR code that was going to be out instead of flyers because nobody wants to be touching paper that other people have touched. So we laminated a flyer. We had the regular flyer that's laminated and posted on the yard arm out in front. And then we had a second one that had that told you how to use a QR code because it's basically that not a lot of people do. And the QR code then took them to a landing page that had a little video of me saying, hey, thanks for scanning the QR code. Thanks for being interested in the house, blah, blah, blah. Here's a couple different videos to get you as much information about the experience of being in the house without being in the house. So we had my like minute and a half video, the what's nearby, the Facebook Live if you wanted to spend 15 minutes in the house. And then what we'd also done sort of as a new twist to my marketing stuff was we actually had the photographer go back in and shoot a Matterport virtual tour. And I historically have not been very pro 360 tours because I think it invites people to feel like they've been in the house and make a judgment about whether or not they want to go see it without having the experience of coming in and feeling it. And I think if there's a, a loss, a really deep emotional loss for me that I think I'm just going to have to deal with in this new world, more people are going to make that decision before they actually go in and feel that house. Gen X baby boomers absolutely dislike those walkthroughs. They make them nauseous to their stomach. Millennials and Gen uh, Gen Z just love those walkthroughs. It's basically real life to them. And, you know, for somebody like me who's 45 years old, those walkthroughs are really difficult. They make sense to my stomach. I don't really get how they work. I I was using a mouse to try to get through it. My son, who's 15, came over and was like, Dad, use the arrow keys. I'm like, oh, it's way easier. By the way, if you're over 45, use the arrow oh, keys. I yeah, I would never have thought to use the arrow easier. keys. Yeah, well, because it's it's <laughs> set up exactly like a first-person shooter game, which is where, you know, you walk through with a gun and you shoot aliens or whatever. Like, um, Call of Duty, I think, is like that. Um, and if you're 15... You know more about video games than you're going to let on. I know that. But if you're 15, like, that makes sense. I mean, my son, yeah. just he totally got... Got it. So I, I get your point that like Matterport 3D walkthroughs, like for our generation, not so much, but for other generations, heck yeah, man. And I yeah. say put out there as much as you can get. What I'm really wondering for you, do you still have, is that website still live and active that has all those different things on it? I think so. And we can put, include that in the post of this podcast. So if our listeners want to go look at it. It's not great. It's, it's Hey man, it's, it's sold a house without anybody visit. That's it's true. great. <laughs> 
based on the experience you've had with selling mm-hmm. pre-pandemic and then since, you know, say we're moving more just into a cautious and social distance real estate mm-hmm. world, we're open for business and everyone's doing transactions and you have something to list, say like tomorrow, what would be your list of things from start to finish to create that emotionally gripping home visit experience, but digitally? Yeah. How do you get someone to swipe right? I, I, all the things that I just did on this last house, I would do all that. And I would do a 360 tour. Here's an interesting thing. And I, um, I'm hesitant to talk about it because I, ha- I, I was having conversations with some brokers in other parts of North America who are, have been ahead of me in some of this tech. There's some cool stuff out there. Do you get to tell us? Like one of the things that people are using is you can get a 360 degree camera. It's like a mm-hmm. Matterport, a 3D walkthrough camera. Oh yeah, but really cheap. 400 bucks as opposed to, I think those Matterport cameras are like 6,000. But people don't really care so much about about the quality. They just want to feel like, what is the floor plan? Like, Because configuration is like neighborhood configuration are the top. Everything else finishes. I don't like that countertop. All that crap people can change out over time. But if the configuration is dorky, that is, it's really what people want to know. And you can't always tell that from sort of the fluffy, pretty listing video. Anyway, so this guy that I was talking to, he uses a 360 camera and he will go out and preview a home that is currently, because you can't, you know, you can do a showing, but again, all sorts of reasons for to not have more people leave the house. But the idea is like, he says he can shoot it in probably about 20 minutes, upload it through this particular program. Then he can send it to people and they can get that experience of walking through any listing he previews. So you're then no, for as a buyer's agent, you're not dependent on did the seller, the did the listing agent, yeah. agent mm-hmm. do all that stuff? Because otherwise, if, if a listing doesn't have that and you are you don't have that skill set to create it yourself, then you're the person doing the FaceTime I don't know about you, but anytime somebody else is in charge of the camera, unless they're really mindful of slow movements and panning, it just Mm -hmm. is going to make you carsick. So I think there's some tools that people are going to start adopting in the world of driving less. Like maybe there is something to be said for at least getting a little bit more of a sneak peek of the inside of the house so that by the time you decide you're going to go see it, you are like 80% in love with that house. And as long as there's not yeah. something that really like it smells like cat pee everywhere mm-hmm. as one thing that tends to turn people off, you're in, you're going to write an offer. So I think where it's still the same steps. It's just where do you insert when you actually walk into the building or not? Some of my favorite brokers in my office, one gal in particular who she would describe herself as a Luddite, old school, anti-tech. And God love her, she did a Facebook Live the other day at a listing of hers. And she was awesome. It was great. There were two people in my office who were like, oh, video. ah," And they both had great Facebook Lives. When you're you're using a 360 camera, it's my understanding that, that you can also spit a floor plan out from those. I know Matterport, but I think that may be the function of the fancier camera. I'll find out because I'm going to play in that arena a little bit. Of all the things that we're putting out there, all of the various things that we're doing, floor plans are just the simplest, easiest way to understand the layout of a house. And so if we can get yeah. those floor plans spin out, we can say like, oh, the master bedroom is right next to the kid's bedroom. If my kid is under 10, that's great. If my kid is over 12, not so much. So, yeah. you know, those acoustical adjacencies are so important when we're looking at these houses. What did you call that? Acoustical, acoustical adjacencies? Yes. Wow. I'm trained as an architect, so very fancy. Yeah. In thinking about that idea of, we get asked a lot. A question I'm getting asked all the time right now is, well, what about virtual staging? Why would we pay you guys to put furniture in a house if we could just do virtual staging? And virtual staging (laughs) is great for photographs period. But if we have photographs and 3D walkthroughs and videos and guided tours and floor plans, and we're not showing any of that virtual staging in those in those collaterals, you're missing five out of six forms of media to be able to show your right. client. And, you know, we talked about this last week, the Chippendale dancers introduced virtual lap dances. True enough, it is a lap dance, but do you get the same thing out of it? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> Oh well, and eventually, nine times out of 10, that buyer is at some point going to walk through that house. Yeah. 
I can't, it is hard for me to imagine a time where people will buy houses without having stepped in them. I know mm-hmm. these people did on my listing and God love them. And, right. and truly, there are a fair number of at a distance buyers, folks who are buying international or they live in New York and they're moving to Seattle. I mean, I, there are slice of the population that does that. Yeah. But more often you get in contract in that house and then somebody flies out to see it before it closes. Right. Like that whole situation was more of a testament to just how much people can get attached to a home yeah. virtually. Not that it's going to like all of a sudden we're going to be like closing houses sight unseen yeah. as a new kind of like trend. But I think that's truly a testament to the power of a listing. If you hadn't staged that house, if you had just taken photographs and just thrown photographs on an MLS, just kind of did the standard basic job, that house wouldn't have sold to that guy. That guy understood that house because of the work you put into it, period. It would still be sitting there mm-hmm. and, and the seller would be absolutely up a creek. All right. So uh, we are moving on to my favorite part of the interview, <laughs> which is called what the fuck? Uh, what is the most, what the fuck thing you have done to get a deal to close? It was a condo and somebody else in the complex, the day we're going on the market, left a dead mattress out by the dumpster. You made a video about that, didn't you? I did. Yeah. I went, it was like, I was all pissed off for about two and a half minutes. And then I was like, get her done. But you floppered yeah. the shit out of that. You're like, here's this nasty mattress outside of my building. I'm going to take this opportunity to make a what the fuck moment and put up a Facebook live and be like, this is my life. So you're going to a house. You're going to take a look at a house and you walk in and you're looking around and you open up a door and you're like, oh, oh I do one of these. Wow. What the fuck is that? You know, there is the seller who answered the front door in a towel. I was previewing and then he said, oh, come on in. You can take a look around. I was like, no, actually, you can get dressed first. I'll just wait out here. Do you think it was on purpose? No, I think people just, I think, he, I mean, I don't think he realized that there was going to be a realtor at the front door, even though I'd called and left a message. Actually, I have met men in towels twice. That was at the front door when he actually answered it. And then I a million tell you, years man, ago. Shorts are really easy to put on, like especially with sports shorts. Like if you're out of your shower, you're in a towel and the doorbell <laughs> rings, you've got a good like, you know, three minutes to go throw on a pair of sports shorts. I think if you answer the, the door in a towel, you're doing it on purpose. And as an owner of a true. lovely penis, I gotta say, it's really fun to show it to other people. Like you're like, look at this. This is great. Dudes love to do that thing. And I think women are always like, I'm sure it was an accident. Bullshit. We can put on shorts. <laughs> We just, we're just like, we're very proud of you. We're like, look at this thing. It's right here. found anybody less impressed. (laughs) Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk about not reading the room or knowing your audience. Yeah, totally. Totally. But the the other was absolutely walking into a room and someone, for whatever reason, even though they knew the house was on the market, people were going to come by. It was like they owned a sex toy shop and their entire inventory of that entire store was in that room, mostly spread out on the bed and a lot of apparatus. And so these people knew. They were aware of what was going on. I think that's another thing where they're like, you know what? I'm proud of this collection and people are going to walk in here or maybe it's a tenant and they're like, I'm going to make sure this house does not sell and I am going to put up every butt plug and every dildo I can possibly (laughs) find and I'm going to keep my house as long as I possibly can. I just, I don't know, man. I I just think that some of that stuff is just super intentional because I mean, we find things like that in houses all the time, right? Yeah. Yeah. The the third one, which anybody who looks at houses in Seattle will probably remember this house a couple years ago, but in a be- small-ish house up on Beacon Hill, uh, when they finished the basement, there was a gargantuan boulder, almost the size of a V-Dub bug. And rather than blast it, they just kept it as like a piece of climbing art. wall, a statue. It was in one of the bedrooms. I work with Justin every day on the stuff, so I don't get to work with Nancy or the agents, but it's been really fun getting to know you and your story, especially because, you know, I do sales and marketing and it's so emotional. So I really appreciate like your background and how you're really dedicated to service because I think service is sales, sales is service. It's the same, it's one and the same. What a high standard of ethical principle you have for 
yourself and your business. And I think that's a really important thing mm. to pass on to people who are listening. Thank you. Um, I, and I really don't know you. I mean, I think I met you once before at Humble Design Fundraiser once. Yeah, but I wasn't drunk. <laughs> <laughs> Unlike today. <laughs> Every other day, but not that night. Um, Nancy, it's, it's, it's really what we were looking at because we listen to a lot of real estate podcasts that are out there. And it's usually real estate agents talking to real estate agents. And it tends to be very glossy and very prim and very proper. And we wanted to do one that was a little bit more gritty, a little bit behind the behind the scenes, because ultimately what it comes down to what I've learned about real estate agents is that they're human beings. These are people who are trying to live their lives yeah. every day and working as hard as they possibly can. And to be able to get a little bit vulnerable and 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 expose ourselves just to touch, put on our towel and answer the door and just show other people, other real estate agents out there that we are human beings, that we exist in a world just like everybody else does. You've been so generous in showing us who you truly are. And I really appreciate that. I just want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to chat with you both, Kelly, to get to know you a little bit better. Justin, always lovely to see you. But really, I don't think realtors often take the time to sort of reflect on who they are and why they do what they do. Uh, But I love that you're doing this podcast and and going behind the for sale sign because it's really fun. And I'm honored that you wanted to chat with me. So thanks so much for that. Thank you. Nancy Chapin is a real estate agent with Windermere. She is one of my best friends in the world. Um, She's an amazing, successful agent. If you have a story you want to tell behind your yard sign, reach out to us. You can find us at info at spade-archer.com or just check out our website. Thanks so much for being with us, Nancy. Thank you both. Bye, Nancy. Kelly, what are you spending money on these days? Oh my like, gosh. Where's your where's your paycheck going? It's such a good conversation to have. Like all these scary things economically that are happening. But let me tell you, it's not because of me. Because I'm spending my money. Just not on like normal things. What are you buying? I've been using Instacart to get food delivered. And there's definitely an upcharge to that. So New Seasons and Fred Meyers and Costco still get my money. Fitness industry is getting some of my money. I bought like more home workout stuff. And making like investments around the house to enjoy my home life more. So home goods. I bought a bike. I bought a hammock. I'm learning to invest, which is fun. I got together with some girlfriends and, you know, we're very proud of ourselves that we went from 15 years ago dancing on bars to now meeting on Zoom specifically to talk about our next conservative investments. So now you dance on your kitchen countertop instead. Yeah. And while while buying stocks. Things change in 15 years. (laughs) Welcome to your (laughs) mid-30s. <laughs> things are unpredictable right now. So I've got debts to pay and student loans and things like that and pocketing some cash, of course. Savings is always good. Six months of savings is smart to have. Um, and I've never really appreciated that until now because now I'm taking it seriously. We get takeout every once in a while. We're definitely spending on our money on stuff. You have a teenager at home who I'm sure wants to spend money and a spouse. So like, where's your guys' money going? My son, who's 15, is used to usually in high school. He's now enrolled in an online school. And so we recently bought a calculator for him because he he's not allowed to have his phone while he is in school hours and school hours are from nine until three so he's not allowed to have his phone during that period because he'll just text all day so we recently purchased a calculator so we're buying some school supplies for him we bought like graph paper and pencils and things like that the gyms are closed and as a good gay i worship at the church at the gym we have bought some weights and some rubber band type stretchy thingies and some different type of workout equipment i'm spending a lot of time on YouTube. Mm-hmm. My favorite channel is Pop Sugar because they do like lots of different workouts and it helps me. There's also one called the Anabotic Aliens that I've been working out with these super douchey Boston guys. Like, all right, in the next pot, we're going to be working on our backs. Here we go. It's fantastic. That sounds I love exactly it. <laughs> like what you're doing in quarantine. That doesn't yeah. surprise yeah. me at all. So we obviously we buy a lot of groceries because we eat a lot of food. Every Friday we are doing takeout from a local business. Yeah. Um, we're trying to support our local businesses. I just got an email from from Nong's common guy and you know she's a restaurant here in town she started off as a food cart she's an immigrant from Thailand who makes a Chinese dish of chicken and rice and she's worked her ass off she was the chopped grand champion like she didn't just win her episode of chopped she went to the grand finale and like won the entire season Fun. of chopped like she's the total badass and she didn't get a PPP she didn't get an SBA oh. loan she's gotten absolutely no financial assistance and so if you're in Portland 
ones come and go. You can order on the phone or online. They close at 6 p.m., so it's usually a lunchtime thing. Yeah. Um, if you can order food, uh, you can swing by her window, and they hand it out the window, and they operate the iPad for you. It's touchless. The food is flipping fantastic. You know, it, a lot of what we're doing is trying to support local businesses yeah. that don't really have a way to do right now. Mm-hmm. EO, Entrepreneurs Organization, is publishing an email every week that comes out that is a, it's a, it's called a pivot story, yeah. where some local business has taken something that they've done and they've pivoted to make it so that they can still make money because nobody is doing business the way that they were doing before. Everybody has tried to change to some other different way to do it. Like last week, it was a story. My buddy Willie owns Perch Furniture. They make couches and they have a showroom in the Pearl District and they, um, they, you go in, you try your couch and you, you buy your couch. Well, now instead of having a showroom, they're all online. So you can buy couches through Perch Furniture, which has been, you know, a huge pivot for her, but she's managed to stay in business, which is good. A lot of what we're doing is just trying to put money towards local businesses. Cause I mean, these are my people, these are my friends. So if I can buy coffee from Noso Familia instead of from Starbucks, I'm going to do that because that's a local business here, you know? And so trying to keep our community alive, putting our cash to giving them our money is the least we can do to try to keep them alive. If they can't adapt some of these changes, they have to make soon enough to survive. And if you're a small business owner and you're on Facebook and you know, you're reading the way that people are reacting to things. If you did get an SBA loan or if you did get a PPP, you know, the only thing that we're hearing about PPPs is that like nobody got them Mm -hmm. except for Ruth Chris Steakhouse. And we now we all hate Ruth Chris and it's been this PR nightmare for them. As a small business owner, I know people who got those PPPs Mm -hmm. and they're terrified to even talk about it because they are now suddenly the bad guy, you know, and I've seen posts from people that are like, you know, oh, well, I can't believe that this person got a PPP and I'm not even going to apply for it because I'm a better person or something that I'm I'm reserving money for somebody else. And there's just like this self-aggrandizing attitude around it. The way the PPP works, the payroll protection program is that if a small business owner gets a PPP, they're given two and a half months of their payroll from the previous year. And during the course of the next eight weeks, they have to spend 75% of that money has to go to payroll. They have to pay their employees. It is essentially uh, unemployment for people to come to work. And so if somebody, let's just say that Jane gets a PPP and she's got 10 employees, she brings those 10 employees back to work for the next eight weeks and she spends 75% of that money goes directly to those employees. It doesn't just go in her pocket. She doesn't decide to do renovations or something with it. The other 25% of that money has to go to either paying rent or utilities. Those are really the only things that you can spend that money on. So it's to keep the business in a, in a space with the lights on paying the employees. Those PPP paychecks, that's not just, you know, I'm to go on a cruise or something. By the way, don't go on a cruise <laughs> right now. Nope. Um, the government looked at it and they're like, look, either these people are going to be on unemployment and they're going to not do anything and sit on their couches and get paid to do that, or they're going to go to work and we can pay them to go to work. And so if you know someone who got a PPP, please don't demonize them. Please don't turn them into the bad guy. They are doing their best to try to keep our economy alive in a safe way. Yeah. You know, and, and the state of Oregon, the state of Washington has made it very clear that if you can operate and you can do so in a way that provides for social distancing and do it in a safe way, and the state of California did the same thing, you can keep your people in Employed. My, my request to our general public is please don't demonize people who got a PPP. Now, of course, when we're talking about reopening any kind mm-hmm. of business, I mean, there's one thing to be like, where are we spending our money? What are we doing? And we're doing it so safely, just like you said, you know, you can go order your food in a in a touchless way. You can get your home staging now in a touchless way. There, right. there's, there's, we can do a lot of that. But moving forward, as things begin to open up again, there's a lot of these components of our new safety protocols that are the new normal. And so... There are going to be businesses that survive this time and can adapt. There'll be businesses that don't. You're really plugged into the entrepreneurs community, um, real estate for sure, but entrepreneurs in general as well through entrepreneurs organization. How do you think business owners are going to respond to this new need? Yesterday, I got a phone call from our dry cleaner and he was just like, hey, I was just calling to see how you guys were doing. And it was just the sweetest phone call. It wasn't like, hey, can you please bring me some clothes to dry? Right. It was just, hey, I'm just checking in on you. And it's, he's a, a small business owner. It's this guy and his wife and his son who, who own a dry cleaners. And, you know, I'm not at work every day. I do. I'm putting on dress shirts for, for these things, but I'm not wearing nearly as much fancy clothes as I used to. You can't see, but I'm completely naked from the waist <laughs> down right now. 
you know, there's not as much clothes to dry clean, but I think what he did was really smart because it put like a little reminder, like, Hey, here's a guy that still has a business that's still trying to survive. He didn't ask for anything. He just said, Hey, I'm still around. I'm thinking about you. And if you need anything, you let me know. I think no matter what any small business does right now, the key is communication. Nobody is driving around. No one's going to see your sign. No one is going to check you out through the yellow pages right now. Interwebs communication is like the most important thing you can do. So like Nong's just sent out this mass email. They use Square as a processor for their credit card processor. One of the genius things about Square as a credit card processor is that they ask you, would you like me to send you a receipt through email? And if you put in your email address for any Square processor associated with a credit card number, every Square processor now has your email address that you use that credit card on. I used to hate that because my ex-husband would be able to get a text every time I spent money at like XYZ place. So just right? make sure right? it's yeah. the right card and the right email address unless you want everyone knowing what you're doing. <coughs> That's right. The, luckily for Nong, she has that payment system. And so she has this massive collection of email addresses and she's able to communicate with her public. And so if you have access to an email list or if mm-hmm. you're on Facebook or if you can pay for Google ads, uh, this is a really good way because we are all home and we are all dialed into <laughs> our screens. We are. If we can as business owners, if we can communicate through those screens, that's how we're going to talk to our public because nobody's leaving the houses right now. And so in order to be as a service provider, in order to be able to provide a service, people have to know that you're still around. And so it is no coincidence that you and I are pumping out these podcasts as fast as we can, that we are all over Google, that we're all over Facebook, we're all over Instagram. And you know, if you've heard of a homestage you're talking in the last month, it's been Spade and Archer. Yeah. I mean, I like to say that I have some, you know, savvy marketing schemes up my sleeve. But a lot of what we're doing right now is just showing people that we have a pulse. It's called don't be quiet. Like scream as loud as you can, as long as you can. We're open. We're op- we're operating safely. We're compliant with all regulations. And I'm, I'm just outlining this because it's just like whatever small business or solopreneur or agent is listening to this. These are the things you should be communicating. You are safe. That's number one. Because the thing is, if you're not safe, no one's going to come to you for anything. Talk about how your business has adopted safety protocols or whatever you're doing, show that visually, whether it's in your Instagram or your Facebook or wherever that you're talking about your business. Talk about how open you are and that you are able to provide your great service that people loved before and they can still love now. Sometimes a challenge I've had this week is I really want to buy food from some of my favorite local places and they Mm -hmm. may or may not participate in the grub hubs or the whatever and I can't figure out how to get the damn food delivered and I'm just like oh this should be easier to figure out make it really easy for people to to google you find your social media channels are you open how are you operating meaning like is this a drop-off, a pickup situation? Is there a delivery involved? And then show people how you're doing things safely. And I think everyone needs to be doing that. I don't care what it is you sell. Goods, services. And if you can do it and do it in a way that you don't touch somebody, do it. Totally. Do it and, and never shut up. I feel like we're to this point, like endlessly talking. And I feel like people are like, God, I wish Payton Darcher would shut the fuck up. But you know what? That's just, that's where we are right now. And we're busy. So. I mean, it works. We I mean, we're not, we're yes. not, we're not just bullshitting you. We're like sitting around, like you know, not working. Like we're busy. Reopening should be a very informed process. Hopefully, yeah. that will be smoother than the closing process. We're hoping that reopening is smoother. As a small business owner, what do you think is going to be the most helpful? Because we've been swimming in gray area, as we've talked about in previous podcasts, and like how to make those decisions. But it'd be really nice to swim in some less gray area. <laughs> it'd be really nice to have some. Clear clear kind of guidelines and whether it's federal, state or local, like as a business owner, what would you appreciate more of to make better decisions? What what I'm seeing right now is that like every business consultant that is out there has been let go. Like if you're a business and you're paying 2,500 bucks or $10,000 a month to a business consultant to come in and talk to you, they've all been let go and they are all offering free webinars on what the fuck you're supposed to be doing right now. If you go on and you, and you 
type in business webinar COVID-19, you're going to find 10 million of them. I subscribe to one put on by a guy named Gower Idris. He's rarebrain.com, R-A-R-E brain.com, rarebrain. He does a daily podcast where he brings on business professionals from around the community that are like, this guy knows federal regulations and this guy knows accounting and this person, this woman knows marketing and this woman is super good at sales. And he's having these conversations with them around how to adapt and how to pivot during the COVID-19 process. The more information you can get, and I'm listening to one of those webinars every single day Mm -hmm. and it's keeping me informed and figuring out what the fuck I'm supposed to do. And maybe somebody goes on there and I'm like, that's a terrible idea. I'm not going to do that. But every time I go on and listen, I find something that's like, that is a great idea. I mean, just yesterday I learned about part of the new legislature that went through. They said that if you did not make, like if you lost money in 2018 or 2019, but you paid taxes in, in 2017 to or 2013 to 2017, you can somehow move the money that you paid for taxes and put that into profit for those last two years what? and get a reimbursement of your taxes from the previous years. Yes. How would anybody know that? How would the average small business owner have any freaking clue that was real? You watched a webinar. Right. Like you, yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm talking like, about with access to information. Like we are education yep. right now is unbelievably important because I don't care who you are. There is somebody out there who is smarter than totally. you and they know what the fuck you're supposed to be doing. And I got to tell you, I listen to these people constantly. I am surrounded by the smartest people in my community and I'm learning every single day. I wish I could tell you what the hell you're supposed to do, but I can tell you that the best thing to do is listen to people who are smarter than you. That's the best way to get better. I think we spend a lot of time talking about like our, what our safety protocols are, but I'll just ramble them off so people can can get an idea. But we're doing social distancing on our job sites. Anyone who can work from home in our business is working from home. Um, We disinfect every single job site when we arrive, when we leave. We have masks, we have gloves. We're constantly finding better, more sustainable, affordable, or better material for all of our masks and gloves. Like that's going to be continuing. We're in the same boat with everybody on that, but our pricing is touchless without a site visit to it. We do all of our site visits with nobody else else there. We do not have any public interface with any human beings except for Spade and Archer employees throughout the entire process. And that's the thing is we are decreasing the vectors. If you have an in-person consultation-based business that you can use a lot of digital tools right now, you can do, you know, don't do the in-person consults, switch to FaceTime if you have to, or Zoom. Being flexible and being like, this is this is how things have to be for a while. I think that's really important too, because again, you're a member of, a, of an economic community. We're not just talking about standards being set for safety by business owners, but rather from the customers as well, from the side. You know, we'll continue this conversation as we go. So thank you, Justin, for having this conversation about safety today. Of course. So my name is Justin Reardon. I'm the founder of Spade and Archer Design Agency, and this is Kelly Dollinger, and I do marketing. This show is called Behind the Yard Sign. If you have an idea that you want to talk about on our webcast, reach out. You can find us at spade-archer.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you next time. Bye. This production of Behind the Yard Sign was brought to you live from the Spade and Archer Studios. Spade and Archer Design Agency is the world's first guaranteed home stager.